Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 172 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, it's an exciting time of the year. It's honey harvest time, but it's also a time to stay focused and make sure that we're on track for the autumn. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone and welcome back to this week's exciting instalment of the podcast. Exciting for several reasons. As I mentioned in the intro we're about to take off the honey for our summer crop. We have our two primary crops this season, what I would call our standard honey crop, mainly wildflowers, predominantly blackberry or bramble and the main crop this year which is the borage. On the subject of the borage we had one of those ironic moments this week as Steph and I visited our fishing lakes apiaries. We normally head into the apiary via a road that comes straight out of our beautiful city of Norwich, my home city as most of you will know. Born and bred a Norwich man. Anyway, on this occasion, we had just delivered some honey prior to carrying out inspections and came at the apiary from a totally different direction. As we approached, what should we see but a field full of blue flowers, borage. Here we are driving two hours to get to our borage pollination and a local farmer has planted a field full of the stuff just 15 minutes drive from my front door. As I said, the irony of the situation wasn't lost on both of us, especially as we've been getting up at 5am to get started each week. I have to say, in my defence, just in case Steph is listening, it is only one small field of borage, maybe 5 or 10 acres at most, so we're still in the right place. Honest. Setting that to one side for now, if you haven't already removed your summer crop, now is definitely the time to do it. As I've said before, here in Norfolk for my bees, it's like the tap gets turned off at the end of July and the bees know it. They get particularly grumpy as soon as the forage dies away, which can make for a few days of uncomfortable inspecting until they get used to the fact that their summer is over. Honey removal is a simple and very exciting task, even after all these years. I still look forward to getting the supers back to base and seeing what they've managed to produce. Depending on your setup, you have a number of ways to remove the honey. Without doubt, clearer boards are the least challenging. If you only have a couple of supers, then you might want to brush or shake the bees off. We have a couple of colonies here at the fishing lakes that have filled and capped supers and now these supers are pretty much empty of bees, maybe a dozen or so bees in each super. Easy enough to brush off with my fingers. Don't use those nasty bee brushes that you can buy. The bees just get caught up in them. 
If you have to brush, grab some long grass and use that as a makeshift brush. Once you have the supers off, keep them tightly covered. At this time of the year, every hive and every wasp nest is searching high and low for a supply of food. And if they can access your recently removed supers that you've put in the back of an open car while you go back to collect the next one, you'll find that when you get back to your car, it will be full of bees and wasps. If you're removing more than a couple of supers, I'm sure you have a plan in place, but the basics still apply. Keep them tightly covered at all times and don't leave hives open and exposed for any longer than you have to. It's a time of year when robbing will kick off and it will kick off at the slightest opportunity. When we remove supers, inevitably there will be some brace cone between the supers and between the supers and queen excluders. As you ease them apart, the smell of that summer honey is like ringing the dinner bell for a mass of hungry teenagers. They'll just descend upon the hive and empty it in very short order if you don't get a move on. So, supers off and crime boards and roofs back on as quickly as you can. I don't remove supers at the same time as inspecting at this time of the year. We'll inspect the day we put the clearer boards on and the next day return just to remove the supers. With any luck, they're empty and we can sneak in, lift them off and sneak out again without anyone seeing us. One tip here is to make sure that you use your hive tool to ease the super up and off the clearer board. If it's been warm and the super is heavy, it will have stuck to the clearer board and you'll lift off both, allowing the bees to flood out and chase you away, especially if you're not wearing your bee suit. On that point, wear your bee suit, but there's no need to use a smoker. But beginners, I would suggest you have your smoker lit and at the ready, but if everything goes to plan, you really shouldn't need it. Good luck with removing your honey, and I hope you get a bumper honey crop. I mentioned wasps earlier. It's that time of year when they become more and more visible. You know, I don't think I've seen any wasps this summer until last week. We were at the borage inspecting all the colonies, and there they were. As if by magic, or some pre-arranged social media announcement, wasps popping up at every hive as we inspected. This then was the first warning of what's to come, and time to start shutting down entrances, replacing entrance blocks, and making sure there are no gaps between the boxes. New equipment should be fairly secure. Nice new joints without damage from hive tools. There won't be many opportunities for wasps or other bees to sneak in. If you have a strong colony, simply having your standard entrance block in place should be enough to deter any intruders. Some entrance blocks do have slightly wider openings, and these you may want to reduce by half or more to give your colonies a little extra help and less space to worry about guarding. I use a little piece of foam, pushed in with my hive tool to reduce the entrance. It's as simple as that. We'll need to look at it again as we get towards autumn and the risk of mice sniffing around, but for now it works well enough to just keep the wasps at bay. Weaker colonies are very vulnerable at this time of the year. I have several that have struggled all year, and to be honest, from a bee farming perspective, should really have been shaken out and started over. But the optimist in me always thinks 
they'll recover in time to deliver a super of honey. Wrong. Anyway, these colonies, if you're going to persevere with them, need extra help. Wide entrances into colonies that are short on bees means they'll soon be robbed out of stores by wasps and bees alike, and they're pretty helpless unless you can give them some support. Reduce the entrance down to a single bee space, and if you can lean a sheet of glass against the front of the hive and secure it somehow, that will work. It's an old trick we've used on quite a number of occasions, and it seems to confuse the wasps, but not the colony. A piece of horticultural glass for a greenhouse is perfect. I'm not a fan of wasp traps anymore. I have used them extensively in my apiaries, and all I seem to do is trap hundreds of innocent insects along with the wasps and hornets. Talking of hornets, I've not seen any in my apiaries this year, not a single one. Weird really, but I suspect it's because we moved so many bees to the borage and have only a few colonies locally that inspections take a lot less time in these apiaries, and so we're just not around to see the hornets. At this time of the year, our colonies are undergoing a change. Mother Nature has signalled her change, and our honeybees take note. Adult worker bees being produced now are the start of our autumn and winter population. A slight change takes place, and they become fatter bees, storing more fats to get them through the winter months. They're designed for the marathon of winter, not the sprint of summer. These bees will last for several months rather than just a few weeks and will help to maintain the population density required to survive those colder days and nights that are heading this way. Weird to talk about the cold as I sat outside in the warm summer sunshine this morning having a coffee. Within the hive you'll notice changes too. The queen may stop laying for a short period, the colony going broodless, this is generally nothing to worry about and the queen will start laying again in due course. You might see brood cells being filled with the last remnants of nectar and pollen and wonder what's going on. It's just the bees taking advantage of whatever food source they can get onto. It won't be long before the early ivy starts to flower and that's a whole different discussion. The brood nest will now start to shrink again. Nothing to worry about, and the bees will backfill those cells with whatever forage they can find. In a month or so's time, I'll give a little feed to encourage the colony to fill in more of those cells before the ivy kicks in for real. In my mind, it helps make the food more available and less likely to granulate into a solid block, as ivy always does. This means that when the ivy flow does start, the bees will have to fill cells that are closer to the brood nest area and these will be kept naturally warm by the cluster of bees and therefore be more easily used by the bees when they need food. At least that's my human brain way of thinking about it. Just jumping back to honey supers and extraction for the moment, remember to mark each super and hive so that you can pop the extracted super back on the right colony. This is another way of preventing the spread of disease. If there's anything going on with any colony, the last thing you want is to miss it and then spread it to another colony because you didn't mark up your boxes before you removed them. And from this, you'll gather 
I'm not a fan of leaving supers out in the backyard or an apiary for the bees to rob out in a feeding frenzy. I've seen it and it's just crazy. The air is filled with a giant black cloud as bees and wasps descend on wet frames to grab whatever they can, a frantic race to grab as much for their colony as they can while it's still there. And of course, who knows where the bees have come from? You may have a friendly neighbourhood beekeeper who has a few colonies with CBPV or European or American fowl brood. You never know what you might end up importing into your own colonies. Just don't take the risk. Return the boxes to their original colonies and keep everything calm in the apiary. Once the honey comes off, it's time to get our varroa treatments on. Mine arrived last week and are ready to go. This year we're using Apivar. It's an Amitraz-based treatment with a six to eight week treatment period. I usually go with around six weeks, which given our time frame, allows me to start treatments in or around mid-August and have it all completed by the end of September or early October at latest. If we're a week or so later, it doesn't really matter. But again, the treatment needs to go on the bees when they're not foraging or storing in the supers. So you don't want to use it during a nectar flow. If we get our timing right, we can get the treatments on and off in time to pop a super on hives to snatch a super of ivy honey. And remember, we're treating these bees that are going to be our winter bees. And the stronger our colonies are going into the winter, the better the chances of survival next spring. I'll talk you through exactly how we use the strips next week prior to using them ourselves. If you want to use the strips yourselves, they're available from Simon the Beekeeper and their delivery service is second to none. I ordered some extraction strainers and a new uncapping knife just this week and didn't tell them it was me. I wanted to see just how good their delivery service was, as they told me it's something that's really important to them. Well, I ordered in the morning and it was with me the next day. You really can't ask for more than that. The Apivar comes in a pack of 10 strips. You need two per hive, and even my maths can work out that that's a five hive pack. So if you've only got one hive, maybe have a conversation with a beekeeping friend and share a pack. Oh, and remember to keep records of what you're using. Finally today, a message to all of our listeners in the USA. Prepare yourselves. I'm coming to visit for Thanksgiving. There's a few hoops to jump through first. COVID requirements, paperwork to complete. Oh, and I need a new passport too. But if I can get all those ducks lined up, I'm heading to Pennsylvania to see my daughter and son-in-law. We haven't seen them for nearly two years and it looks like we'll be there for about 10 days at the moment. So I'm thinking I may be able to arrange to say hello to one or two of you. It's an opportunity too good to miss. Another opportunity that's too good to miss is my latest podcast. A podcast subscription will get you the very latest tips and techniques from me each week as they're released. As things stand, it's going to cost less than a couple of hive treatments, and that's next day delivery prices. <laughs> Head over to my Patreon page and sign up to my Podcast Plus tier for the very latest beekeeping chat and details of my holiday arrangements. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs>